Hi, family. My name is Susie, and I am a very grateful member of a new beginning, Al-Anon Family Groups in Dallas, Texas. I'm going to start with a disclaimer um, right away. I use my last name all the time. And especially for those of you Al-Anons, um, since I have the privilege um, to go to groups, and I often like to share traditions today, since I have some time in this fellowship, and uh, or tell my story, or wherever I'm needed. Uh, they usually start with saying, we're going to go around the room and introduce ourselves, first name only. So I had the privilege of starting a new Al-Anon group uh, almost 10 years ago. We'll have our anniversary in October. And some of the women that helped came from another group where they always used their last name and felt highly criticized. So I am a literature person. Both I am a big book Al-Anon and I love the Al-Anon literature. I use both constantly. So I thought to start our group, I wanted to figure out if there was some place in our literature, in the Al-Anon literature, that gives you permission to use your last name. So if anybody ever wants to know that, it is in the World Service Manual, page 82. And it tells you no one should be criticized, whatever name they decide to use. You can even use a pseudonym, and that's fine. But you can use your first or last name. And I will go ahead and tell you why I use my last name. I was in a, one of my Al-Anon groups with a gal named Betsy. And we had been in that group, I don't know, five or six years together. And you know, when that becomes your home group, you learn to get very close to people, and you share a lot with one another. And this was a 10.30 a.m. meeting, and there was a lot of women in those days that didn't work, so we had a pretty big group, and we usually went to lunch together. So we had a great meeting after the meeting. And in that meeting after the meeting, that particular Thursday, she grabbed a couple of us and said, I need you all to pray for me. They found something in my mammogram, and I need to go in tomorrow and have them check it. And she said, I think it's going to be fine. Don't worry about me, but I'd appreciate your prayers. So we all did. We prayed. And that um, Saturday morning at 8 o'clock in the morning, I got this very frantic call from a gal named Ellen C. that some of you know who went to our group. And she said, I'm calling several people that Betsy wanted to talk to, and she's at Baylor and you need to call her because she really wants to talk to her. It was a very serious, uh, the biopsy turned up cancerous, and it's a fast-growing cancer, and she is going to have a radical mastectomy, and she needs to talk to some of us. So she was just doing her thing. She, we, I quickly hung up the phone, got myself dressed, and I'm going to call her. You can't call Betsy at Baylor Hospital and say, but I'm a very good friend, and we have shared everything from deep within our hearts for five years. So that was one of the situations why I have a sponsor today that always uses her last name. And, uh, but for two reasons, I shared that with you because it just seemed like, um, since I have a little time in this program, I like to pass that on so you all can pass it on. Uh, thank you for, for much, so much. The committee, Barbara, of course, asked me about a year and a half ago, would I be willing to come and share my story um, at this wonderful conference? I am already so full, I could go home back to Texas, and I have felt so much love. Um, so cared for. Uh, Emily has been, you couldn't ask for a better hostess. Sometimes I have to say, I'm going to pull rank on you. You don't need to do that. I can handle it myself. She has been so attentive. Barbara and all of her sponsees and their sponsees have given me hugs and welcomed me because I've gotten to know some of you over the last couple of years having been at one of your women's conferences. I thank the committee of Alcoholics Anonymous 
when we get to share as a family together about this disease that has um, destroyed so many families, but then we get to be in this wonderful fellowship of both of ours that brings us back together and we can heal and put our families back together again. How would I not be grateful and feel privileged to have the opportunity to come and share with you, even though this is not my favorite thing to do? And I came into the program December 22nd of 1975. I was 25 years old, not as young as Deborah last night, but I felt <laughs> just as much out of place. And I came in because of a mom that I love with all my heart. And I had no idea why mom couldn't stop drinking. And y'all taught me that it was because she had a disease. It was a threefold disease. And one of the things I was first told to do was that you will go to three Al-Anon meetings every week and you will go to one open speaker meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous so you can understand where mom came from. Well, I went to more than one. I went to two because God quickly dumped this wonderful guy in the treatment center in my life. And um, he was kind of a mess. He'd had a blackout the year before and got married to somebody else and didn't tell me until we were having this lust affair, you know. But what it did, it got me to a lot more meetings than just one meeting a week of Alcoholics Anonymous. And um, I'm going to make sure that I thank everybody. I'm going to use a couple of little notes. One of the things that I noticed is that you have a picture of Lois Wilson over there. And, um, you know, I thank all the alcoholics that came to uh, listen. Sometimes Al-Anon speakers are not quite as exciting and fun, and I'm not one of those funny, exciting speakers. And, um, but I have a passion and a love for Alcoholics Anonymous and Al-Anon, and it is my heart today, and it is my life today. And it's everything that God has allowed me to become. I have become um, because of Alcoholics Anonymous and Al-Anon. And because I love lots of alcoholics. But I want to say this because I sometimes forget how blessed I am. And you know, I know some of you out there have no one else in your family in recovery to share the, our gifts with, to share the excitement. Birthday night, will you come share I'll celebrate my birthday? Many of you have family members. They have no desire to come to birthday night. Well, I was blessed that I came into the program when Mom came into Alcoholics Anonymous. I was um, 25, and she went into AA and never looked back. That same white light, that same change that Lois Wilson saw in Bill, I saw in my mother. I never worried about her, and I am a worrywart hostage-taker Al-Anon with the best of them. I never worried about Mom. I knew Mom found her answer. And that little girl that prayed for years and years and years while the other kids were on the playground and I was in doing my rosaries, lighting my candles, please don't let my mom die drunk. I adored my mom. She was my hero. I loved her with all my heart. Never thinking God would ever answer that prayer as that disease progressed in our life and in our family. My daddy was just a little Al-Anon, and I didn't know that for a long time. I didn't know what was wrong with him. I didn't know why he couldn't fix her and make mom better and take us kids, and one minute I wanted him to take us out of it, and the next minute, no, help mom. We can't leave her. Are you kidding? She needs us. So I am grateful to be here. It's always a privilege, even though I always have butterflies. And so thank you for everybody that took the time today to come and listen to my little story and my love of this program. But um, the last couple of years that I have been sharing, oops, you know what I forgot to do? Dear Mary Jane gave me her little phone, so I won't run over, and I forgot to press start, so guess what? I just started. Hopefully I can catch up and not go over. 
The last couple, oops, I just saw a note card to myself because I get so excited seeing so many people I know. Oh, my gosh. Um, I want to thank my husband because sometimes I forget Larry. August 2nd, we will be married 31 years. My husband's not alcoholic. My husband still, even with two recovering alcoholic sons, well, one's still off the wagon, but I mean, he was sober 14 years and he shared a lot of his life and a lot of his sponsees with us. My husband still doesn't really get us, but he prepares my our ranch. We have a guest house and another house, and I have a couple of book studies. Next weekend, my sponsor, Benoit, is bringing her sponsees, and they're going to have a book study out there. And my husband will have it groomed and beautiful and everything that we could possibly need to make that a special weekend for us. So I want to forget, because more and more of us are not married to somebody that's in recovery. As I mentioned earlier, and then I kind of kind of go sideways sometimes, sorry, that I know some of you have nobody else in your family that's sharing recovery with you. And for those of you that do, I hope you realize what a priceless treasure that is, that you get to share the love of your programs with one another. And they know what a birthday night is, and they know what a sponsor is, and they know what maybe a group conscience is, even if they don't want to hear about it. They listen with love. And my little Larry does that. And he, he, over the years, he's gotten to where when several of my sponsees call, he'll go, I think she needs to talk to you. She's crying so hard she could hardly ask for you. And I go, fine, and he'll come get me. And that's because of this program. That's because I tried to take what you taught me in my meetings and bring it outside into my home. Now, I don't do that, like many of us, as fast as I work it in my meetings, as fast as I've worked it in some areas of my life, as fast as I should probably have learned how to do it with 35 years in my marriage. But I'm still a work in progress. God's not finished with me. I heard an AA lady say one day, she goes, you know, my, uh, God's gift to me is who I am. My gift to God is who I become. So I know I'm still becoming. And if I keep coming back and doing whatever is asked of me in this program and that good foundation that I got in California where I met Barbara, I'm going to be okay. And hopefully I can become that woman that God wanted me to be. Because when I got to you, I wasn't anybody that you'd be proud of, that you'd want to know. I liked nothing about myself. Um, I, my insides and outsides did not match, except my insides thought I was a piece of trash, much like Deborah was talking about last night. So you've healed me, and you've given me a chance with all the tools, the steps, a sponsor, good sponsorship. I have strong sponsorship. Matter of fact, she's so strong, she is known as a black belt sponsor. And I wouldn't trade her for anything, even though sometimes we are at odds with each other, because we grew up in totally different worlds. I grew up with a, with a family knowing I was always loved and I was always wanted. And there might be somebody out there that needs to hear me say this, because off and on during the program, being married to uh, a non-alcoholic, I thought, you know, I don't belong here. My life wasn't that bad. But I felt all the shame, all the humiliation. I got as crazy trying to fix mom as any of those wives that had long-time marriages when I came into the Fullerton Tuesday night meeting in California, December 22nd. I got as nutty as they did trying to save my mother because I was the oldest of three, and I knew that was my job. I popped out of the womb wanting to be a mother, my mom said, and I knew I was supposed to be able to find a solution for this mother I loved. And if I could find the solution for her, I would find the solution for my little marine daddy who was crying sometimes, and then we'd walk on eggshells because he didn't know what to do with the woman he loved. 
So I thank my husband for letting me come to these things. Even though he doesn't understand them all the time, I appreciate it. And uh, I hope you thank your family members that, ha- that when you come here, if, they don't, if they're babysitting your children, if they really don't understand, go home after you leave this weekend. Um, this is another thing that uh, my sponsor started doing, and I picked it up. Do you realize, and I hope you do, and I bet most of you do, that within a mile around this beautiful hotel, and these this beautiful meetings, everything's beautifully prepared, laid out. I've got a great bed up there. Thank you for my wonderful, gorgeous room and my treat bag. And um, the girls took me to a great restaurant today. That family disease is alive and well. And within that mile radius, there are many, many families today, last night, they'll be there tonight, where things are going bump in the night, where the mom is so crazy, no wonder the husband wants to drink and pass out or leave, because she's crazier than he is. Where the children are just as scared of the Al-Anon mother, if not more, than they are the alcoholic father. My dad scared me more than mom did. Um, In the middle of the night, we slept downstairs, and um, they were upstairs, their bedroom was upstairs, when they would be in one of those bad fights, I was much more scared of dad than I was mom because I knew he had the power to hurt my mom, physically hurt my mother, and he never did. Thank God for the grace of God. She was the one that hurt him and broke his arm. Go figure. My mom was a pistol. When she got going and she got mad at him, she was a pistol. So it is a privilege to be here. I thanked my husband. I am grateful that I had a mother in recovery. My brother had nine years sober. He was my baby brother. He was eight years younger than I am, and he had eight years sober when he died. And although he was on heavy, heavy medication for another disease called AIDS, he never drank because alcohol was the drug of choice. And Alcoholics Anonymous taught him that, gave him that gift, and made him proud of that, that he was a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And and he died prematurely, and I'm so sad because I miss him. And my sister who moved five years ago from Florida and lives across the street from our ranch. She and her husband are retired military. Tony will have 23 years in Alcoholics Anonymous, and my sister will have 21. And this sister was 22 months younger than I was. And as that disease went rampant in our family growing up, my sister escaped. She knew how to go. We lived in the country, and she left. And I just thought she was selfish and self-centered. Why don't you stay here and help me with mom and dad? But that's how she handled you to the disease. And that's the greatest thing about four steps. They teach us that. We get to do fourth and fifth steps. We get to do amends. I got to see that my sister was doing the very best she could with the family disease. She didn't know how to take it. She's not a caretaker. That's not her thing. Now, she is very loving and caring. And she is a character. My sponsor loves to be around her. She is so funny. Great one-liners. But until they moved there five years ago, My sister and I had no relationship. I didn't care if I ever saw her again. My mother had passed away. My brother had passed away. I was taking care of my sick dad. I did not ever think I would have a relationship. But you know what my sponsors taught me to do? They kept telling me to take the right actions and the feelings would follow. They kept telling me, you go pick her out a birthday card. I can't. They're all these sweet sisterly. You go take the right actions and you stand there for an hour if that takes. If there's no card at that store, you go to another store until you can send that sister a card that says, from sister to sister, happy birthday. And you do the same thing at Christmas. 
and you do the same thing if there's another holiday that you think would be special to her. And when my brother died, he lived in Amsterdam, and my sister and I had to go over there to be with him because they have a thing called euthanasia. And she was on one side holding his hand, and I was on the other side. And as God would have it, he has a, uh, we have a very interesting God. Um, my second sponsor used to say, uh, God answers prayers, yes, no, wait a while, and you've got to be kidding. <laughs> and I love that you've got to be kidding. But that was, uh, that was a no, I cannot go over and do that with my sister. We do not like each other. I don't care if she's sober. I don't care. I don't have a big enough program to handle this. But God does. My God has a big enough program, and so did Mary Catherine's. And today, she is a delight in my life because I kept taking the right actions. And when she was drinking and I was in the program and she would call and say ugly things because of the disease of alcoholism, I could call up a sponsor. I could call up one of you. I could get on my knees and put her in my God box and pray. I had so many actions that I could take to be loving. I have a resentment prayer that I can pray in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And it tells me what to do for two weeks if I have a resentment to do for someone. I have never prayed that prayer to where it's taken the full two weeks to not soften my heart and make me care about that person. Adjust my attitude, feel just a little bit differently. So I strongly recommend it. If you haven't prayed that prayer lately, and if you are having some problems with someone in your family, that is a wonderful opportunity for God to teach you if you are willing to be honest, open, and willing, and teachable. Never fails me. Uh, let's see here. I've got to tell you a funny story because you're going to find I don't usually tell my story anymore. I usually go and talk about the traditions, and I usually tell the love story of Bill and Lois Wilson. That has been my passion the last several years. And I've kind of taken that old-timer ability that we can kind of do our own thing. So I'm going to try and weave one of the reasons that I hope you will understand why I love this, both of our programs so much and why I'm still here and get to be your speaker today and why God put Barbara in my life after all these years. And uh, the last time she saw me was at my bridal shower to this wonderful Texan, and I can't say the word that she said when she left that bridal shower, but she told me with a something in front of it, I had to be crazy to marry this guy with six kids from four to 19. Well, I probably was, you know, but I had a program, and that could handle, I could handle anything. I had the 12 steps and 12 traditions, and they work for groups, right? That's what the traditions are for? Okay, it was, it was going to work out great, and I have used those traditions in my group. Uh, but Pat Plater um, was my grand sponsor for mm, probably 20 of those years. She passed away almost four years ago, Thanksgiving. And she was the sweetest lady, but she could pack a punch with her one-liners. But as she got older, she kind of got confused when she was talking and telling stories. And I love one of her stories. And it's probably the funniest thing I may say today, but you'll all get one joke from me that you can remember. Um, This older lady was just wanting to have a baby. And she was way past childbearing years. There's no way. And she suddenly called all of her little friends in her group. They had this little girly group and said, you're not going to believe it. I'm pregnant. And they go, there is absolutely no way. You are way past childbearing age. And she goes, yep, and um, I'll let you know when the baby comes. Well, all of a sudden, nine months passed, and the baby came. And she, these women could not believe this. This is a miracle. You've got to invite us over so we can see that baby. So she picked a date, and she invited them all over. And 
came in the house, and I mean, this is a miracle. This needs to be in the Guinness Book of World Records. And, and they said to her, well, where's the baby? And she said, well, why don't we go sit down in the living room first? I'm going to make you some tea. So they went and they sat down in the living room, and she got them tea, and they're going, okay, you know, we're guests in her house. We'll be patient. And then she said to them, uh, they said, okay, it's time. We want to go see the baby. And she said, well, you know what? I am going to get some cookies and cake to go with that tea. If you could just sit here for a little bit, and I'll freshen your tea and come back. And she brought it back, and the ladies are getting a little impatient now. We want to see that baby. And she said, well, I hate to tell you this, but I forgot where I put the baby. (laughs) Well, a lot of times, I forget where I put the baby. So if my story doesn't go together, I'm sorry, guys. You'll have another speaker tonight, and hopefully Bill can get everything together. (laughs) Oh, but I love my Pat, and I miss her. She... um, one of the harshest things she ever did, I love to talk about my heroes. I love to talk about those that came before me because I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for many, many, many meetings of Al-Anon, Alcoholics Anonymous, speaker meetings. I just love conferences. And the speakers that would take up their time and come here and leave their families, leave whatever they had to do, and share their story. And I got to share wonderful, wonderful words of wisdom, encouragement, and hope. And so, I love those speakers. So I'm going to share some of my hero uh, stories and things with you. But, to be honest, because I don't want to ever stop growing, I have not had a really good two years. So I have been looking through literature. I'm a literature person. And when I got rid of that guy early on in the program after three years, and Frank couldn't quite stay sober, but I had a program, and I had a foundation, and I had a sponsor, and I had friends, and I had family. And I, my mom was sober, and I knew that God had something else in store for me. Well, he left behind some of his things, and um, one of them was a thing called the Little Red Book. And it has been one of my treasures, but of course, like many books, I hadn't read it in a while. So there is a little line in there, because I have been trying to say, Okay, God, I know there's something else you want to do. You want to groom me at death. And there is a place in there on complacency. Now, it might not mean anything to you, but I hope somebody maybe needs to hear this. Because, you know, I was told a long time ago, when you get up, Susie, it's your turn. And maybe the only one that needs to hear what you have to say is you. But hopefully someone else needs to be, you are in a complacent place. Maybe you're thinking of leaving the program. I don't care which one. Maybe you need to get a new sponsor. Maybe you have a sponsor and you haven't been using that sponsor. Can't help you much if you don't call them, use them, spend time with them. Work on that relationship. Complacency obscures the knowledge that our recovery from, I added, it says alcoholism, I added that my recovery from control, knowing best, obsessive fear and worry, was granted by a power greater than ourselves. And without contact with God, reversion reversion to our old, low physical and spiritual levels is probable. Um, And that's what was happening the last couple of years, little by little. My sons were both sober. One was 14 years sober and one was eight years sober and both went back out there again. My oldest and my youngest. I have seven children and um, the youngest is 35 now and the oldest is 43 and he called me last night and it was very sweet to be able to tell him, I'm sorry, I'm at a conference in Atlanta. I'll get back to you on Sunday. I don't know that that'll ever make difference. I don't know that all those 14 years 
of so many things that happened in his life, sponsees that came out to our ranch, Fourth of July parties that he had for his group, um, the recovery, the joy, the love, you all know it, um, that he has walked away from that for right now. And I feel really sad. But uh, then our youngest son moved from Texas to California three years ago, and he just moved back in February because life is very fast, it is very crazy, he was selling very high-priced cars to famous, famous people, and the drugs were all over the place. And in his loneliness, when a relationship broke up, slowly but surely, he thought he could drink like a normal person, he thought he could smoke pot like a normal person, and he called me up one morning, scared to death. And it's really neat to be able to have this program, and my kids can share it with me. And they know they can call me and say, I had a slip but I have another sponsor. And I can just listen because you taught me. I don't know then. I can't control it. God's been in charge. I put my kids in the palms of his hands and that I could share that with him. Well, he came back to Texas in February, and on a regular basis he tells me he hates his life. So that's really great as a mom. You're really happy to hear that. Okay. Uh, you got to really work your program hard again. And so where I got complacent, y'all, was not working my program, not doing the things that I was taught to do, not calling my sponsor, not going to meetings, not looking at the steps, not using my God box, but I wasn't spending enough time with God. And I wasn't trusting. You know, I was blessed to come into the program in um, California, Southern California, and one of my very first AA speakers was a man named Chuck C., and I remember the day I heard him, and I will never forget it because it profoundly changed me to think about my relationship with God. It did not change that relationship with God, but it profoundly changed me because he had that cute little laugh, and he said, many people love God, but few people trust him. And God designed us to be dependent on him. So I haven't been depending on the God of my understanding enough with this young son. I kept thinking I could fix it and make it better, so that he wouldn't hate his life in Texas. Now I'm turning the corner and I'm getting in a better place. Um, so I am going to go on with a little bit of, you know, that's the picture of Lois Wilson over there. And Barbara and I were talking. We met Lois Wilson. I was three months, four months in the program, and she was on the Queen Mary. And she was a tiny little frail thing. And, you know, you all might think, well, you know, big deal. But the important thing is none of us would be here if it wasn't for Lois's love for Bill Wilson. And I don't know if many of you Al-Anons even know that, but I don't know if many alcoholics do, because we talk about Bill and Dr. Bob and their miracles and what happened, but Lois faithfully was the only one that worked in that family for years. And those drunks were on her doorstep when she came home from work. And sometimes there was almost no money to provide dinner or a meal. But she pulled together something, she welcomed them into their home. She let them stay all night. She let them stay for days on her couch. She let them spend all the time they needed to spend with her husband because she loved her husband. And she could see that there was a difference in him, and he was making a difference in other people's lives. Um, you know, one of the other things that I heard as I was reading her story, Lois remembers, that just jumped out at me was when she said, Bill and she... And he said, you know, Lois, I've been doing this for six months. I've worked with over 100 alcoholics. None of them are sober. 
And I remember how it got me because I think of my mother. And, he, and she replied to that husband that she loved with all her heart, but Bill, you are. You're sober. That's why we work with others. It may not make a difference sometimes in someone else's life, but we do it hoping that that's the gift we can give back because someone gave it to us. Someone had the doors open, the lights on, the coffee pot ready, the chairs up, ready to chair a meeting. I don't want to ever, ever, ever forget where I came from. I got so many gifts. You know, if all I got was a sober mom, I could never pay Alcoholics Anonymous and Al-Anon back by trying to come to these conferences and work with others. But I got a sober sister. I had a sober brother. I had a dad that had 30 years in Al-Anon when he passed away. He was a literature man. Even in his wheelchair, dad always had literature for that newcomer. He loved to give out literature. And, um, and I have a sober sister and brother-in-law. And when, you, when my sons needed it, you were there for them. So how can I not be there for your kids or your sister or your brother or your mother? I can't. There's just no way. Um, so that brings me to, I'm going to tell you a little bit about um, myself and um, how I loved, because I can talk to you about Ramona Belford. Now, Ramona's no longer with us. She was my second Al-Anon speaker. And for any of you that might have known Ramona, if you don't, get her tape. She was the most beautiful, beautiful American Indian woman you could ever see, with a grace and dignity, and I didn't have that when I first met her. And I wanted what she had. Even when I couldn't hear what everybody said, I wanted what they had. And she looked with magnificent. But she talked about her little old Bob, the white guy that she was married to, and she was the squaw. And she talked about what she went through waiting for him to come out of the bar. And I did the same thing. I stayed at home till I was 24, hoping that maybe I could make a difference with him, that somehow I could save her. I could cook the right meal. I could help her with my mom could entertain with Martha Stewart. She probably could have helped her write the book if she knew her, because that's what my mom could do. And she loved people in her home, and she loved entertaining, and anybody and everybody was welcome in her home. And um, I lost the baby. I lost the baby. See how handy that little story is? It works out perfectly, I think. And I think it's my grand sponsor. Okay, we're back to Ramona. So, you know, I was early in the program when I heard Ramona. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad you love me. And, um, but this one really got me. And we have chickens today at our ranch. My son decided in his insanity of not trying to do recovery right away that he would get chickens. And we have a black bunny. And my husband has his longhorn cows. And then we had to act bla add black cows because they bring more money. And it's just crazy insanity out there. It's a circus. But the chickens are beautiful. And I, can, I always think of Ramona with my chicken story. So Ramona had this thing when she would go visit her grandmother. And she loved to go to her grandmother's because her grandmother lived on a farm. And they had chickens. And it was so cute. And can you imagine about a five- or six-year-old little girl? And there's little chickens. And those little chickens are out there pecking all over the place. And you can imagine a five- or six-year-old wanting to pick up one of those cute little baby chicks. And grandmother's kind of doing some chores around there, and she's watching Ramona. And Ramona goes to pick up a baby chicken, and all it does is sit there and peck and peck. And that poor little baby chicken is fighting to get out of her hand. And she's all upset. Grandma, Grandma, the chicken won't let me hold it. And the grandmother says, put the chicken down, Ramona. And Ramona looks at her. 
But Grandma, I mean, can you imagine? I could see Sam. I, I, Grandma, to Barbara, I, I, I got to hold him or he's going to run away. And she says, put the chicken down, Ramona. So we have a little pouty face and we put the chicken down. And then her grandmother says, hold out your hand, Ramona. And grandmother picks up the chicken and she puts it in her hand. And she says, learn to love with an open hand. Wow, what an order. At times I didn't think I could go through with that over the years. With seven children, lots of different issues getting them raised. Like I said, they were four, I didn't say this part, they were four, 12, 15, 16, 18, and 19. And the first four were boys and I promptly got pregnant and had a little girl. And my husband traveled a lot and I went 30 minutes to all my meetings and I was crazy. And so over the years, thank you, Ramona Belford. Thank you for your chicken story. If I can't remember anything else of your story, and I do, I remember the shame, the degradation she felt for her Bob and she felt for herself. Because that's what this disease does. It is a family disease. It is a family disease. Do y'all, anybody out there know of another disease where the whole family gets sick? I don't think it does it to cancer, diabetes, heart disease. But with alcoholism, when someone's drinking bothers us, and it gets to the proportion that they probably are going over the edge isn't what I wanted to say, but you know what I mean. And that disease is getting worse for every family member. The whole family gets sick, and the whole family needs to recover. And that's why it's so cool when we have all these meetings and we get to have them together, and we get to share with one another and help one another understand. You know, Al-Anon is 60 years old this year, and AA is 75 plus. I could be off a little. And there is still so much contempt prior to investigation of alcoholics with Al-Anon, and hopefully not as many Al-Anons with alcoholism, but they're there. Trust me, I don't give the big book to any newcomers to read if I have any sense that they think they are not a part of the problem. We work Al-Anon literature first, and then we start reading the big book so they can say and put their name in there with their thinking, with their controlling, with their fear, with their anger, with their resentments. We get them just as bad, if not worse. So anyway, there's Ramona's chicken story. So I came into the program in 1975. We moved to California after high school, and we did a geographic, and mom's disease progressed rapidly, rapidly, rapidly. I've got to check this little thing here. And, um, you know, I understood more and more and more the family disease as I watched mom get sicker and sicker and sicker. But you told me there was a solution. I just keep working my program and try to mind my own business and love with an open hand. And it got better and better. And so I was grateful because about five months before I ended up in treatment, I said, I can't do this anymore. I took the first step, didn't even know that's what I was doing. I go, I cannot watch my mother die anymore. And so I moved out. I got a roommate at work. Uh, and I moved out. And my sister, who I didn't like very well, Mary Catherine, happened to get a call from someone because she didn't live at home. And she called me and she said they rushed mom to the hospital. And you know, when I went to that hospital, they said, you know, your mom's going to be in the hospital for a couple of weeks. Um, she has severe pancreatitis and she's bleeding profusely. Um, but you know, you might want to find a treatment center for her because she, she is a very sick lady. And then her boss called me and told me the same thing. So good old Al-Anon that I am, I got busy working and I found a wonderful place. 
because back then they were mostly run by members of Alcoholics Anonymous. They came into the hospital in the morning, they came into the hospital in the afternoon, they did meetings and they took them out every single night. They picked up the patients and took them to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. And they got in my face and said, you know where you belong, you belong in that other room with those ladies. Well, those ladies had purple hair and tight perms. And I got purple hair. The guy gave me stripes on Thursday. I'm supposed to be a blonde, y'all. I don't know what he was smoking. I said, Jose, what were you smoking? Well, he doesn't do any of that. He's a very soft-spoken little hairdresser. But I don't know where I got this hair color. Anyway, they all had, you know, that rue rinse that you would put on. They'd all been married 20 or 30 years. I'm the only person that comes in there and talks about my mom. But you know what? I listened, I looked at their eyes, as we say, and I listened to their hearts. And I didn't come back right away, like they said, come back, mm, such and such. Oh, I gave it a week or two. I'm busy. Don't you know I'm this hotshot commercial real estate lady? I've got places to go and things to do. I'm making money. But something pulled at me, probably another meeting that I went to with Mom of Alcoholics Anonymous. And somebody probably said, hey, we missed you. You missed me? Nobody's missed me. I don't do women. I don't do groups. But he missed me. And they said, we missed you. We got, still got that meeting on Tuesday night. We'd love to see you. And so that's how slowly I worked my way back to Al-Anon. And I got myself a sponsor. And she was one of those sponsors that got me very active. And she not only got me active in the group, she got me active in service. And when I left, I was an alternate delegate. And... Um, what an honor, what a privilege, what this little stupid girl that sat in the back of the class and always had the wrong answers. Every time the nuns called on me, I never had a right answer. It was always the wrong. And I was dumb and stupid, and I'm going to be used, and I'm going to be allowed to be a secretary or an ISR or a GSR. Wow, wow. But Elsie held my hand and said, I'll show you how to do it. You don't ever have to do this alone. We don't have to do any of this by ourselves again. So, fast forward. Um, I break up with Frank, and um, I keep going to Al-Anon because I knew there was a lot wrong with me. And she said, you know, why don't you figure out why you keep picking guys that you can take care of? Maybe you don't want to do this for the rest of your life. So I spent the next year and a half working those steps at a deeper level than I ever had before, doing uh, steps on relationships and um, my family. And... I had a friend in the program, and she divorced her alcoholic, and I was signed up. I said, hey, why don't you go on this new thing called a sober sailor cruise? She goes, I don't want to be anywhere next to alcoholics, but my brother goes on cruises all the time. Why don't you come with us? So I said, okay, I'll come with you. Well, that's where I met my husband. But I'm going to tell you three little parts of the story because I had my ODAT with me. I knew I better bring that book with me because I wasn't quite sure of this. I had been so in my little cocoon of my meetings and my program and my family friends, and I didn't go to a church at the time. I only had work. So I went to the meeting, and I went with her, and she said, Okay, Al will tell you what to do. What you do when you go to a cruise is you go to the purser and you ask for a table with the singles. So we asked for a table with the singles, and you ask for a table that the late seating so we asked for a table with the late seating. Well, what we got was singles, six girls and two guys. <laughs> and one was tall, dark, and handsome, and the other one was short and blonde with blue eyes. And they said, y'all look so pretty tonight. Oh, wow, and they had us at y'all. <laughs> and you know, for that whole week, I had met a gentleman, and his name was Larry. 
And I didn't know he was separated the last three years. I didn't know he had custody of six children until several days had passed. But I saw somebody treat me with dignity and respect, and I felt that in him as a person. But Anne was very tall. She was six tall, and we got the cheap room, you know, the inside room where you shower over the toilet and everything. So she got the bottom bunk, and I had to get on the top bunk. But I'd take my Odak there every night, and I'd read those pages on fear because I wasn't good enough for a man like this. I wasn't good enough as I listened to this man talk about his God. And see, you gave me my God back. But I never talked to a guy about God. You don't go out and meet somebody in a bar and talk about God. And um, so, you know, that's how it went. And I went back home and got a picture of him. And the very next, oh, well, you're going to love this story, my little mama. I went over to see her on that Sunday. We got home on a Saturday. And I went to show her pictures. And for any of you that have been on a cruise, you know, they take the professional pictures. And we had a picture of six girls and two guys. And um, we were dressed up, and it was lovely. And I went to show Mom, and I started telling her about Larry. And she looked at me, and she goes, my Susie's in love. I go, oh, my God, Mom, no, he's back in Texas with six kids. I'm out here. There's just no way. I'll never hear from him again. Well, God had a different plan for us. Or I wouldn't be your speaker today, I'm sure. And um, he called the next morning, and my secretary came in and said, Um, This person called, and they would like you to call by the end of the day if you could. I go, oh, girls, we were in the break room, and I was talking, and I go, oh, girls, you're not going to believe it. It's the guy I met on the cruise. Nine months later, but only five dates later, I only got to see him. He had kids. His wife is mentally ill. She has bipolar and schizophrenia. So I have a perfect program because I can learn to understand that, seek to understand rather than to be understood. And I got to understand what's going on. What does that happen? How does that affect a family? So that's probably a family disease that affects the whole family. It's not probably. It is. I've watched those children struggle from little to older. I've watched that lady get sick and be better and get sick again. And now she's back in our lives. We had a family reunion six years ago. We all went together. And our youngest daughter stayed in the room with her. Not her kids. Our youngest daughter, Jennifer. Oh, she loves Adrian. She's full of, she's a crack up. So that's what this program can do. It, can, it heals relationships. It heals people. It brings us together again. And um, so there we go. So I met Mr. Larry. We got pregnant. We had a baby. We lived in Texas. I hated Texas. I hated Al-Anon in Texas. I whined about it for about a year and a half. That's how I got to find out with uh, Barbara again, a gal that many of you know named Jenny C. Moved to Texas, and she hated Texas as bad as I hated Texas. And we had an instant bond. And I'd been there a long time at that point, and um, uh, so we've been, become very close because of that. But So I moved here. Okay, you think i got a program. I've got this wonderful husband. I've got a sponsor. Life should be great. Well, long-distance sponsorship with that many changes in my life couldn't keep working, and it killed me to have to let go of Elsie, but she agreed. She was a wonderful sponsor, gave me an awesome foundation, but she knew I needed someone. So that's where I got the second sponsor that said, God answers prayers, yes, no, wait a while, and you've got to be kidding. So I loved Marvel because she had such a sense of humor. But after four years, she decided she was going to be an intervention counselor and wasn't going to do Al-Anon anymore. Now, to show you how sick I was and that I still take, I can take hostages anywhere, I begged her to let me go to Chicago with her while she did her training. Please don't make me have to trust somebody again. Please don't let me open myself up 
to somebody else again and get intimate. We were in the intimacy workshop today and get intimate and let somebody know all those things about myself that I hated, all the actions that I took that were not the way I was raised, that were not things that were becoming of the woman I wanted to be. And Marvel said, nope, sorry. Well, Marvel's back. I get to see her. And uh, the next thing that many of you are going to like, and I've had to use this and I had to see this in myself, is am I crazy in a situation or am I in a crazy situation? And when my son came back this year and we let him go live at our ranch and we helped support his debt while he was trying to get sober and make a new life here where he didn't want to be because of all the regrets from his failure in California, I got crazy. But it was also a crazy situation. And you know that lady, I get to see her once in a while. She came back to Al-Anon. But it doesn't matter if I don't see her. Her words will stay with me forever. I have passed those on. And that's what my heroes do. The giants that came before me, I get to share their words with someone else and hopefully give someone else a laugh in the middle of a tough situation or hope or encouragement. And uh, then I was listening um, this week to um, some of my old tapes. I I went to Radio Shack because I have a zillion trillion cassette tapes and I need to turn them into CDs. And the poor store manager at Radio Shack had no idea what I was talking about when I said, you have a cassette player. I really didn't think they'd have one, but he said, well, there's this thing over here and it does record. I think he had, I, I thought I had a recording machine. And I said, no, 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 I need it to play. See, there's a button that says play. And, um, So I took out an old Clancy tape from 1988, and most of you probably have heard of Clancy. If you haven't, you have missed a jewel. He is hilarious, but he has. He packs a punch. He knows how to describe disease of alcoholism. And he sure helped me in that area to understand what mom had gone through and subsequently all my other family members. So, but it was, you know, I heard early on in this program, I'm sure some of you have heard, stick with the winners, stick with the winners. What does it mean to stick with the winners? Well, I kind of had one definition, but I like Clancy, so I'm going to pass it on. He said, stick with the winners means somebody that keeps trying. I was trying, but I wasn't trying hard enough because I knew it was a spiritual problem with me. I knew I needed to trust God at a deeper level with my two boys. I needed to trust him with my marriage. I needed to trust him with all the changes that were taking place in our life with my husband's businesses as the economy changed. I wasn't trusting him, I was mad at him. I was pointing my finger and shaking my hand at God and saying, I've done all this, my husband's done all this, and this is all happening. Um, So I got complacent. So, you know, God knew exactly what I needed to have in that little old-fashioned cassette tape. And he knew exactly when I reached in and I said, whose tape should I look at? Because many of the people are no longer with us. And it was that one, and Clancy was chairing a meeting, and he was talking about trying. So as long as you're trying, you're a winner. And you hang in there, and you'll bless other people, because they'll see that you're trying, no matter how much time you have or do not have. Um, I want to share another little um, person, Blanche. As I progressed in this program, and, you know, I've had 31 years of being married, and I got a new sponsor after Marvel left, and she moved to Texas from uh, Oklahoma, and she was tough. She is a black belt sponsor, and many of you know her, and she was tough. And she said, this is what I'm going to ask you to do, and I said, oh, you don't understand. 
my husband's not alcoholic in a recovery program like yours is. I can't go to meetings every night of the week. I can't make every conference. And she said, well, we'll try, but I don't think it'll work out. Well, it's almost 24 years later, and it's worked out, and there's been a lot of bumps in the road. But please, if you're having troubles with your sponsor, have the courage to talk to your sponsor. Don't just walk away or quit calling him. And if you have a sponsor that's not willing to talk to you and share with you, you might have to take an inventory on what you want, because sometimes we do change and we do need someone else. Um, but I can't imagine going through what I've gone through with my sons. Benoya's gone through a lot with her two daughters the last couple of years, and they were both in recovery, and one of them still is in recovery, but some things were happening in her life. And the other one had almost 20 years and went back out there, and now she's back in recovery. And so she understands that heart of a mama. She understands that lioness that wants to protect her children and fix things. I don't know. I, I couldn't make it without her, especially because my mom's gone. I, I don't know what I'd do without her. So um, I wanted to share that with you. But here's another little story as I'm going on in my journey, because this is what's gotten me through these last years. I had to keep finding things in the program because I couldn't be in the pro meetings as much as I wanted to. I couldn't go to a conference every weekend as much as I wanted to. So I have a strong faith. My faith has grown. My husband and I are active in our church. I do that in addition to my program, not instead of it. So I've needed my heroes. I've needed those tapes. I've needed the conferences I've gone to, and I've needed to remember what they told me. And um, there was a lady named Blanche, and I heard her in my first year. When we were in California, we got all the Texas women speaking in California, a lot of the Texas men. And then the California ones came to Texas back in those days for conferences and things. Blanche happened to be a delegate with my first sponsor. They were delegates together. And Blanche is one of the most well-spoken, well-read person I ever met. And she did monthly letters of every place she went in her travels and different books and tied them in, of course, always with Al-Anon and recovery. And um, she was a teacher of blind students once. And um, she talked about, and this was when I was struggling with acceptance, and my kids are now teenagers. And that oldest son is in college, and he's doing some workout stuff. And I don't know squat about steroid aggression, but I'm seeing him come home and treat the little brothers and sisters, and it is a family disease. And they're getting yelled at, and they haven't done anything wrong. And we're screaming at him because we don't know what's going on. We know he's drinking and partying a little bit, but we don't understand the rest of the story. And so we're taking it out on the other kids. And you all know that happens in your home. And so... Blanche talked about the difference between acceptance and resignation. And sometimes I have to be resigned before I get to acceptance. Sometimes I detach with rejection before I can do it with love. But she talked about the vast difference when parents, this was a school for the blind, but they lived there. And when parents who accepted their children's blindness would come, the way they would treat their children, the way they would try and encourage them to be very independent on their own was very different than the parents who would come that were resigned to their children's blindness. So if you're resigned to alcoholism or somebody in your family, or you're resigned to the one that you live with that's the crazy one that won't do recovery, talk to your sponsor. Visit with somebody. Find out how you can get into that place of acceptance. Use that, that prayer in the big book on resentments. It works like a charm. So fast forward, now we are grandparents. So God gives us second chances to be grandparents. He gives me the tools to try and 
share with those grandchildren and be more patient, be more loving. Hopefully not be condescending sometimes when I correct you. There's a pamphlet and I didn't bring it, It, it's in the room. It says, how can I help my children? And the very first question in there is, do you treat your children with courtesy? And I can tell you when I was growing up, uh, I didn't treat my father with courtesy. He was the child and I was the parent at 10 and I was taking care of him and he better do what I said. I didn't treat him with courtesy. I didn't treat him with love or respect. You had to teach me how to do that. 12 years into the program, I was assigned by my current sponsor to do a four-step on my father. And it was a very important four-step because I did not like my earthly father, so there was no way I was going to trust my heavenly father until I got over some of that stuff with my dad. It's been one of the best four-steps I've ever done. So if you're stuck in your relationship with a higher power and you have some issues with your earthly father, Get with your sponsor. It might be that a four-step like that would help you. Totally open the door. So many years later, when I had to take care of my dad for five years, and he was not the parent I wanted to take care of. I would have gladly and lovingly taken care of my mom in her old age. Um, so when God says no, there's a prelude to an even better yes. Um, when we were, I was 19 years in the program. Mom was 19 years in the program. We were doing mother-daughter conferences together. She was on the board of a woman's conference that I helped start, and Mom got to be one of our first alcoholic women. We cooked. We cooked for my Sunday school class of 80 together. We got ready for all the holidays together. I watched her sponsor others. It was just like miracle and gifts. What a privilege to be able to share that with your mom. And my brother was over in Amsterdam. He'd been living there several years. And he got very sick. um, And it was with AIDS. And we got a call in June of 1994 that he was very, very sick. And he'd been in the hospital for a couple of months and didn't want to worry us. But he was in and out of a coma. And um, one of the nurses called and asked if Mom would like to come over there and see him before he passed. And... um, He was 37 years old, and he was my baby brother, and he was a joy and a delight. Very talented, very loving and kind, and um, I couldn't go. I had the kids, but and I took care of Dad, so Mom went. And, uh, you know, we had people in the program to talk to, and she got on that plane, but she was petrified. But Mom knew how to pray. She knew how to talk to her sponsor. She knew what to do. You gave us the tools. They prepare us for everything in life. And she got on that plane, and you know, it's like a 10-hour flight. And she went over there to a Dutch hospital where no one spoke any English. And the only way she could stay in that, they had three rooms for family members, but you could only stay for like three or four days at a time. And then if some, another family was coming in, because one of the top hospitals in Europe for AIDS, then you would have to We had the funeral in Minnesota, and we had a memorial. And you can imagine, it was all members of Alcoholics Anonymous and Al-Anon. It was my dad's sponsees. It was my dad's friends. It was my mom's. It was mine. It was members of my church. Wow. Wow. And instead of crying with sadness, I cried for joy that this little girl that prayed that her dad would, mom wouldn't die drunk, and this mom that was raised in a small town, And because her parents were very wealthy, the shame every time she would be in a car accident, every time something else, the police came to our house, the shame that it happened. And she got to be there for her son. And she got to be doing what God planned for her to do with dignity and grace. Wow, how can I ever say no to Alcoholics Anonymous if they ever say, come talk at our conference? 
or Al-Anon or a sponsee. I don't care how tired I am. I don't care if my favorite show is on. I can never say no. I got that gift and my brother got that gift. My brother lived for two more years. There wasn't much left of him when he passed and it took everything I learned in this program every time I went back to Europe to see him because he lost his eyesight, he lost feelings in his fingers. I had never seen a disease riddle somebody so young and so completely and yet he stayed sober, he went to his meetings, he got people to take him when he couldn't see very well and couldn't ride his bicycle anymore. They brought meetings to his house and one day, and he had to really work hard to get through that resentment. A lady came and said, ah, Alden, you shared that your mother passed away over here. You know, they called me from Alcoholics Anonymous and, go, and asked me to go visit her at the hospital and I couldn't make it. But my brother understood at some point, mom was doing what she was supposed to be doing. He was doing what he was supposed to be doing. He said, I'm sorry you didn't make it. You would have loved to have met my mother. So, as things continued, he taught me how to talk to my grandmother, and I would go home twice a year to Minnesota, and when she didn't want to talk to her two other daughters anymore, because they got tired of hearing about the dead sister, even though they all loved each other, Grandma could talk to me on and on and on about my mom. And I would say, I know, Grandma. Let's go eat at her favorite place. Let's go eat at your favorite place. That's what I got to do to get back. That's what, that's what you've allowed me to do, that scared little dumb girl that hated everything about who I was, whose insides and outsides never matched my whole entire life, who always felt different from and apart from. That's what you allowed me to do, is be there for my grandmother, and then you allowed me to be there for my dad. So, here we go. I'm a grandmother of 11. I am blessed to have a husband who loves me beyond belief. Everything's aren't great all the time. We are both strong personalities, so thank God he's got a wife in Al-Anon, <laughs> or he wouldn't have been he would have had to get rid of me too, because <laughs> I would he wouldn't have been able to live with me. Um, our youngest daughter moved back home two years ago. Our my only biological daughter, and she's going to graduate school to be a counselor. Every boy she ever met from middle school on, guess what? Now, her daddy's not alcoholic, so if you think this isn't a family disease and you can't keep taking it out there from one side of the family only, well, I did. And, um, oh, she used to just hate it because she's only known me and Alan on her whole life. She only knew her sober grandmother. She only knew a grandfather in Alan on. What a legacy. What a gift to give your grandchildren. And um, so I, I remember one time when, oh, Chris, bless his heart, he was only 20 years old, and I just knew he had a problem when he came and picked her up. She would have to blow into his thing for him so the car would start. <laughs> yes. Is she a little Al-Anon, right? Um, <laughs> um, we, I had to go pick him up and his two tattooed friends, and that was before tattoos were so popular, and they were really tattoos. We talk about acceptance. And I had to go pick up these two guys because the engine fell out of his car. You know, and he never had anything to, money to fix anything right. Prom. He takes her to prom. He comes to our house. He's looking handsome. He lived 35 minutes away. The problem was he forgot his coat and he forgot the tickets to the prom 35 minutes away at home. You know, and he didn't have any money to take her to dinner. So we gave him the money. They go to dinner. His brother rescues him and brings him his stuff. So that's just a little bit about my daughter. She is a delight. She is my heart. And um, seven years ago, you prepared me one more time for another wonderful roller coaster ride. We learned that she was bipolar.
Luckily, she doesn't have the schizophrenia, but see, God knew what he was doing because I've watched Adrian, Larry's ex-wife, all these years. So I learned about some of the medications. I have to say, you guys, our daughter has owned her disease. She wants to be healthy. She wants to be normal. She wants to have a life. She's not real sure if she wants kids. It doesn't matter. But she is going to be one hell of a counselor because she has a heart. She loved that uncle that died in Amsterdam. She loved her grandmother. She's been raised around us. My sponsees come to the house. Lowell's brought his sponsees there. She knows us, and she knows this program, and she'll be able to share, and it won't just be what she learned in a book. She'll be able to share her heart. She'll be able to share that kind of heart love because she knows what it's like for many of those different things. So I'm almost out of time. Uh, Mary, Mary Jane, your timer's working great. I shouldn't have to go over. Um, I'm going to just share a couple of other little stories from some of my heroes because that's how I like to end because I don't want to ever forget them. I don't want to ever forget them. There's a guy named Johnny Harris, and he's from California. And when I heard Johnny, remember, 35 years ago I heard Johnny. I don't know how many years he's got now, but a lot. And he got sober in prison, and he didn't have any money, and he got out of prison. And um, I always get choked up when I share this story. And he got out of prison, and one of the things they assigned him to do, his sponsor said, is you will pick up this little old lady that can't drive anymore, and her name's Myrtle. And you're going to pick up Myrtle, and she's very sweet, but she needs a ride to the meeting every week. And you're going to be grateful to be a service to her. And, of course, Johnny goes, yeah, 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 I'm young, and I'm driving this old rattle-trap car, and i got a wife, and she's pregnant, and I just, I'm so embarrassed. You know, I'm this hotshot, good-looking guy, and I'm out of prison now, and I'm, gonna, I'm just so embarrassed. I mean, guys in their cars, and i got to pick up Myrtle in this old car. And so one day after he'd pick up Myrtle for several weeks, several months, I don't remember now, he looked at Myrtle and he said, Myrtle, they have offered me a job at the prison. They are going to pay me to share Alcoholics Anonymous. And she looked at Johnny, and he, oh, and Johnny said, and Myrtle, I'm going to get a really nice car so I can pick you up in a brand spank, and I don't know what kind of car he said back then, who knows, Chevy or something. And she looked at him, and she patted him on the hand, and she said, no, Johnny, you're not going to take that job. And he goes, Myrtle, what are you talking? I've been waiting to have a nice car to pick you up. You know, we've really gotten to know each other. We get to go to our meetings. And she said, you know... You can't sell a gift, Johnny. You've been given that gift of sobriety. You get to give it back in that prison just the way it was given to you. I try to give it back. I'm not the funniest speaker. Oh, I wish I was funny. Oh, do I love to laugh in Alcoholics Anonymous meetings and Al-Anon meetings. We've laughed so much already this weekend. I love it. I didn't laugh much in my home. I was serious, Susie. I was taking care of everybody. I didn't have time to laugh. It was a waste of time. I had to figure out how to fix this disease and make everything better. But I have loved to learn to laugh. But there is so much joy in this program, and I am so grateful to be here. So if I share some of those little stories, hopefully they bless all of you. And even though I wasn't the funniest speaker, I hope you know that I love this program with all my heart. I'm going to end with um, something from Bill Wilson. We're doing a, um, a deadly sin study. I had my sponsees doing a seven deadly sin study. And... You know, we talk about it, but you have to work real hard to put different information together and do one of these things. And so I found this in my archives. If we are ever to be happy, we must learn at whatever cost to be forgiving. 
If somehow we can begin to believe that the universe is as it is and that all of us, each and every one, are all doing the very best we can, forgiving becomes easier. Thank you all. I love you. Remember those people in those homes outside of here? So take all this enthusiasm and love you get this weekend and go share it with your families when you go home and go love on one another. And I just thank you, and I can't wait to hear the rest of the speakers for the weekend. Thank you again, committee, for helping me, uh, for letting me share, and um, thank you for giving me the opportunity to come visit so many new friends that I've made in the last couple of years. I love you all. Thanks.